The sermon today comes from Psalm 22, 1 through 8, and then we'll jump down to 27 through 31. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. In the 2012 HBO documentary, the performance artist, her name was Marina Abramovic, and she uh, put together this very unusual exhibit at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. And over a period of 90 days, 850,000 people streamed through the museum and participated in this exhibit. And here's why it was unusual. She wore a red gown, and she sat on a wooden chair. And all those that came to see the exhibit would step onto this little stage with her and sit in a wooden chair across from her. And all she would do is stare into their eyes. She didn't speak. She didn't nod her head. She didn't gesture. She simply would stare at them. And the results were surprising, somewhat shocking to everyone. And that is that most people that sat in the chair across from her would begin weeping within minutes. Listen to what she says about this experience in this unusual art exhibit. I gazed into the eyes of many people who were carrying so much pain inside that I could immediately see it and feel it. And she would describe as they teared up, oftentimes she would well up as well. I became a mirror for them of their own emotions. One big hell's angels with tattoos everywhere stared at me fiercely. But after 10 minutes was collapsing into tears and weeping like a baby. Humanity is incredibly diverse. When you look at the world, when you look at your neighborhood, maybe the school your children are in, humanity is incredibly diverse across racial boundaries, across socioeconomic boundaries. But there is one thing common to mankind, and that is pain. And it crosses all those boundaries. It doesn't know color. It doesn't know wealth. It does. Pain is something that is common to every person that lives in this world. You know, our kids this past week in Backyard Bible Clubs, Kevin mentioned it earlier, learned some really, really important truths. When God is unfair, 
God is good. Or when, when life is unfair, God is good. Although we're gonna talk about it, sometimes he seems to be unfair. When life is scary, God is good. When life changes, God is good. When life is sad, God is good. You know, lump all those phrases up and you could, you could summarize it by saying, when life is painful, God is good. And he has shown his goodness in his son, Jesus Christ. And he brings healing through his son, Jesus Christ. The question is how? How does the love of Jesus Christ bring healing to the pain in your heart? First, we're gonna see that his love identifies with your pain. This, this psalm is an incredible description of human pain. David wrote it. David was king over Israel for many years, king over God's people. And David wrote most of the psalms and many of them are almost like a journal entry from his heart. So he's writing in some season of his life, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but he writes about his emotions and his feelings and, and his thoughts and, and what he is experiencing as he walks through things. Psalm 22 is one where David is, is, is talking about what he is experiencing in a season of great pain. We don't know exactly what that is, but he describes it. Look what he says, verses one to two. In verses one to two, he describes the feeling of being abandoned by God. God seems silent. God's not delivering him. He's praying, but his prayers don't seem to be heard. Maybe that's something you've felt before, feeling abandoned by God, maybe by people. Then verses six to eight. In verses six to eight, you see that his, this is a king. This is a powerful king, but you see his self-image is shattered, right? Verse six, I am a worm and not a man. He, he's describing, he feels less than human. He's lost a, a sense of human dignity in, the, in this chaos of darkness and isolation that he finds himself in. You know that feeling. A child knows it. A child that has been abandoned struggles deeply with a sense of self-worth. If you've been rejected over and over as you've interviewed for a job, you begin to lose a sense of self-worth and self-confidence. If you've been used in relationships where you feel like you're just a, 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 a block or an object that's being used for something, you begin to feel less than human. You lose a sense of dignity. That's what David was feeling. Verse seven, David describes being mocked. People are shaking their heads in disapproval. He's unwanted. He's alone. Maybe you felt that, feeling unwanted, feeling alone feeling isolated. And then you see the utter mocking tone of verse eight. Verse eight is, is a verse that it shows absolutely zero compassion. David's friends or the people around him have started to pull out their, their theological measuring sticks and said, hey, David, the reason there's pain in your life, the reason there's suffering is because you're not trusting God. Your faith's not strong enough. That's why you have pain. And your pain and suffering is evidence that God doesn't love you. Maybe you felt that when hard things come into your life and you've started to question, is God punishing me? Does God really love me? Is God really for me? Psalm 22 does an amazing job 
at putting language to our emotions. And that's the beauty of the Psalms. Putting language to our pain, putting language to our suffering in such a way that it gives us the freedom to embrace it and not run from it, which is the natural human instinct, which we'll get to, is to to run from pain. But this Psalm gives us the freedom to actually embrace the pain, embrace the emotions that you're feeling that are part of what it means to be human. This psalm is written by David, but there are a handful of references to this psalm in the gospel accounts of Jesus' death. The very first verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus actually spoke those words as he was hanging on the cross being crucified. Uh, Down to verse eight, when it says, he trusts in the Lord, let him rescue him for he delights in him. That's actually them mocking David saying, hey, if God really loved you, David, you wouldn't be experiencing this pain. Well, that's picked up in Matthew 27, 43, as Jesus is hanging on the cross. Those that are around mocking, they say, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. If this were really the son of God, he wouldn't be hanging on a cross like this, experiencing this pain. Then you go down to verse 18. It's not printed in your sermon guide, but it's, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. This is David so close to death that they're, they're starting to divide his clothing, cast lots for it. And that's picked up in John chapter 19, where John, the writer of that gospel, quotes this and calls it a fulfillment of scripture. So what we see here is that David wrote this psalm under a spirit of prophecy, speaking of the coming death of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. So with that background, how does Jesus Christ specifically bring healing to your pain. Verse 22 of this psalm, I'll read it for you. It's actually quoted in the book of Hebrews. It says this, I, this is David speaking in verse 22, I will tell of your name, God, to my brothers, the people of God, in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. That exact verse is quoted in Hebrews chapter two. And in Hebrews 2, it's set up by this. It says, Jesus was not ashamed to call you a brother. And then it quotes that verse. And the point is this, that Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call you a brother or sister. That just means that he is not ashamed to identify with you in your pain, in your sorrow, in your hurt, that he fully identifies. In fact, listen to the language in Hebrews 2 that describes this full identification of Jesus with your pain. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's you and me, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things that Jesus put on flesh and blood. Verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Verse 18, for because Jesus himself has suffered when tempted He is able to help those who are being tempted. Do you hear those verses? Jesus Christ fully identifies with your pain. He experienced rejection. He experienced loss. He experienced abandonment. He experienced being misunderstood. He experienced your pain. And the beauty of it is it says, When he faced all this, he was tempted like you are, but without sin. 
meaning that Jesus was tempted. So that even when you're tempted, he identifies with that. You know, sometimes I think we, Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. But because he's fully God, I think sometimes we almost soften the identification of Jesus with our pain. You know, that when we experience rejection or we experience being abandoned or misunderstood or, or, or we experience isolation, we say, yeah, Jesus understands it, but he was God. So somehow it just kind of softened that. You know, in the fifth century, the church was trying to figure this out, right? Jesus, fully God and fully human. And they came up with a definition that's incredibly helpful. And I'm gonna just speak towards one phrase of it. They said, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human, without confusion. Now, what does that mean? Jesus Christ is not what you get when you combine blue and yellow and end up with green. Jesus isn't a third thing. Like, oh, mostly human, mostly God, but some third thing. Blue and yellow makes green. No, he's fully human. Here's why this is so important. That in his full humanity, he fully gets you and understands you. It means that when you're tempted, he gets it. When you're feeling lonely, he gets it. When you're feeling rejected, he gets it when you're experiencing profound grief over the loss of a loved one, he gets it and his father gets it. When you weep, he gets it because Jesus weeped when he was on earth. You ever heard someone say, no one gets me? You ever thought that yourself in a season of life? Say, no one gets me. You know, that's true. That's true. There is no one, there's no human being on this earth that fully gets you. I want you to think about the closest person that you have in your life, maybe a spouse, maybe a friend, maybe a parent or a sibling. They don't fully get you. And if you're married, you understand that. <laughs> but there's one who does. Jesus Christ fully gets you. He fully understands you because he put on real flesh and blood. He became flesh and blood. Years ago, Rachel Eckert, she was a doctor in Berlin, Germany, and she developed what was called the age man suit. She developed it to try to get these 20-something-year-old medical students to have genuine sympathy for senior citizens. Now, let me explain what the suit was. Consisting of ear protectors that stifle hearing, a yellow visor that blurs eyesight and makes it hard to distinguish colors, knee and elbow pads which stiffen the joints, a Kevlar jacket-style vest which presses uncomfortably against the chest, and padded gloves. This aged man's suit weighs around 22 pounds. And when she was interviewed about it, she said, listen to this. It was an attempt to do what a PowerPoint presentation couldn't do. She's saying, I could, I could get these medical students in a room. I could put up a PowerPoint about all the things that old age does to the body. 
and it didn't work. Jesus Christ doesn't understand you because he listened to a really slick PowerPoint presentation from his Father in heaven. Now, this is where this illustration breaks down. Jesus didn't put on a flesh suit. Jesus became flesh. He became 100% human while remaining 100% God. And therefore, he can identify with your pain completely, and he is the only one that can truly get you and understand you. So how does the love of Jesus Christ bring healing to your pain? First, his love identifies with your pain. Identification is great, but it's not enough. That leads us to the second point. He bears your pain. If identification is he gets it, he bears it, is he's done something about it. If identification is a doctor with good bedside manners, he bears it is a doctor not only with good bedside manners, but a doctor who's competent to bring healing. And he bears your pain. Verses one to two, David expresses this abandonment he's feeling, and he uses three questions. The last one's not really a question, but three questions to describe this. He says in verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from my words of groaning? David's been crying out. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer You know, abandonment and alienation is the experience of human suffering. That when you experience hardship, there is pain because there's an innate understanding that that pain does not belong. It's why we tend to try to run from it as fast as we can. And because we know somehow that pain doesn't belong, it's not right, then when we experience it, we cry out to God and it doesn't go away, we begin to ask the same questions. God, have you abandoned me? Do you really care? Do you really see what I'm going through? Because it appears not, right? So we experience this abandonment and we say, God, why aren't you doing anything about my pain? But the answer is God has done something. He has done something about your pain. What has he done? Verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what Jesus spoke, one of his last phrases, words on the cross as he was dying. And what he's describing there is utter and complete abandonment from God his Father. Think about it. Up until the cross, the entire story of the Old Testament of the world from its beginning all the way through, Jesus, the Trinity, working out, God the Father working out all these mighty acts of redemption to save his people. Exodus from Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, on and on. You see these miraculous acts of God to deliver his people. And now Jesus is hanging on the cross. And there's no deliverance. God is silent. God's not acting. Jesus is simply hanging there in excruciating pain. Yes, there was physical pain, but that was a minor, minor amount of what he was feeling. This emotional pain of his father doing nothing as he felt completely abandoned. Now, why? 
Why did God not act? Why did God not act to save his son from what was happening on the cross? The brutal crucifixion of an innocent man. Well, to understand the why, you have to understand where pain comes from. The source of pain is sin. You know, pain did not always exist in this world. In fact, when God first created the world, there was no pain. Created the first people, Adam and Eve, and they enjoyed a relationship with God that was perfect. It was paradise. Beautiful. No pain. Then our first parents decided that they were going to live life apart from God. Thought they could find happiness apart from God. And as soon as that happened, you see things come unraveled. Pain began to enter the world. Their marriage began to break down. Their children committed murder. And on and on, you see pain enter into this world. And it came through sin. So when we talk about human pain, there's two sources of it. It's sin. It's either your own sin that contributes to it, which you can probably identify that. Things that you do that contribute to the pain in your life. But then there's also the the, the pain that comes from sin outside of you. Somebody betrays you, rejects you, hurts you, or just the brokenness of the world, the brokenness of our bodies, right? We experience pain from sin, but we experience it in our own sin and the sin outside of us. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, God the Father was silent and he didn't act because all the pain of sin was being placed on Jesus in that moment. And he was bearing the punishment for sin, which is eternal separation from God. He experienced utter darkness. He experienced hell. And hell is simply life apart from God for eternity without any of the goodness that we experience here. You can You can live life apart from God here on this this earth. You can decide, I don't want anything to do with him. And I'll just be honest, some of you here, maybe that's because you have experienced hurts in the past and there's an anger towards God and you want nothing to do with him. But even if you reject God and you live life apart from him, you still experience the goodness of this world. There are good parts of it. Lots of sin and brokenness, but you get to go to the beach. You get to see a sunset. You get to eat good food, right? There is still goodness. It's called common goodness or common grace. Hell is simply separation from God without any of that goodness. That's what Jesus experienced on the cross. You know, for three days, he was in the grave. And because he was God, fully God, fully man, because he was God, that was an eternity of torment and pain. Why did he experience that? because God the Father has a deep love for you. And his love for you is so deep that he would be willing to put his son on the cross and experience the pain, the the separation, the isolation, the abandonment, all of that that is a result of sin being, being focused on Jesus so that you could be healed from your pain. You know, we, um, we talk about Jesus' pain on the cross, that he accepted this terrible pain, and he did. Jesus had to remain steadfast. You know, he could have come off the cross if he wanted. He could have walked right off the cross. He was God. The nails didn't hold him there. 
It was his love for you that held him there. He remained steadfast, accepting the pain and didn't come off. But we oftentimes don't talk about the pain of the father. That God the father had to remain just as steadfast as he put his son on the cross to accept the terrible pain and, and not bring his son off or spare his son that pain. And so what we see there in that moment is God the Father and Jesus the Son enduring unfathomable pain so that he could take away your pain and take away your sin. I love how one commentator puts it. Only if God is as, is as steadfast as Jesus in accepting the terrible pain of this moment of holding back can God carry human sin to the uttermost? The reason God held back, the reason Jesus didn't come down, the reason that both endured this excruciating pain was so that he could take your sin to the uttermost depth of hell. This past vacation that we were just on, we visited my, my sister and my brother-in-law and their kids and and we were sitting around and telling stories, and my brother-in-law shared the story of uh, this frog who had taken up residence in a flower pot by their front doorstep. And this frog was becoming a nuisance, and a tearing up this flower. And so my brother-in-law said he picked the frog up. They live on uh, sort of pasture farmland, so they've got some you know, trees on one side in their backyard. Other, other side is pasture land. He takes this frog, he walks out to the trees, the forest, and he just lets it go, goes back in the house, wakes up the next morning, guess what's back in the flower pot? This frog. Not a cat. You'd expect a cat to come back. Not a frog. So he says, you know, my, my brother-in-law's got a little competitiveness in him. So he takes this frog and he says, well, okay, we're gonna go a little farther this time. So he walks this frog out into the pasture land on the other side of a pond and puts him down. Comes back to the house, Wakes up the next morning, guess what's in the flower pot? This frog. Couldn't get rid of him. He did this a few more times. Frog came back. He finally realized, if, if, if I am going to get rid of this frog so that it will not return, I have got to get in my car and take this frog to the other side of the city so it will not return to this flower pot and destroy our flowers. Listen, when Jesus Christ endured the horrible pain of the cross and God the Father held back on sparing his son that pain. He did it because he was committed to taking your sin to the uttermost depth of hell. That's why the Bible describes Jesus' death happening outside the city. He was crucified outside the city because that's where sin belongs. He took your sin to the garbage dump so that it'd never return again. He, he bared it on the cross and endured that pain so that he could bring healing to your pain that comes from sin, whether it's your own or the sin of the world outside of you pressing in. Jesus Christ brings healing to your pain because he identifies with your pain, he bears with your pain. But finally, his love 
overcomes or has overcome your pain. You know, pain, if you've experienced it, which we all have, when it's prolonged, it tends to progress. And it tends to progress from a feeling of abandonment to a feeling of, at some point, hopelessness and despair. And that's where David gets in this psalm, in verses 12 to 18. Again, it's not printed in your sermon guide, but in verses 12 to 18 of this psalm, David speaks of not just abandonment, but he speaks of despair. Not just emotional pain over what's happening, but he describes physical pain. Talks about his body drying up. He talks about his clothes being divided. He's so close to death. He is feeling death approaching. This pain has gotten so, so deep. He feels absolute despair. And when despair sets in like this, identification is not enough. Even bearing it is not enough because there's a question that's asked, and that is, will this ever end? Will this ever come to an end? And the answer is yes. Look at, look at verses three to five. In the midst of David's pain, in the midst of his despair, he looks back. And he looks back on a time where God concretely acted in history to bring deliverance and to rescue his people. What you see in verses three to five is a description of the Exodus. When God delivered his people out of Egypt and miraculously through the Red Sea, David looks back at that. He says, to you they cried, and were rescued. So David finds some healing in the midst of this despair and something that has already happened. And this psalm ends by describing an event that has already happened that brings healing to your pain. Look at verse 31. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Now, I've told you, there are multiple references to this psalm in the gospel accounts of Jesus' death, and this is one of them. Because in John chapter 19, it records one of Jesus' last phrases when he hung on the cross. He had about seven of them. One of them was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But another one was, it is finished. That was Jesus saying, I have done it. Past tense. Now, what was finished on the cross? What did Jesus mean when he said that? It is finished. Well, right before Jesus was arrested to then be crucified, he was in a garden with his disciples. And he pulled away and he began to pray to his father, to God the Father. And he said, Father, take this cup from me. Now, what was the cup? The cup that Jesus was speaking about was all of the pain of being abandoned, separated, in anguish, in torment, all the punishment of sin that was bottled up in this cup that Jesus was talking about. He said, Father, if there's another way to rescue your people, can I do that? You know, you wonder if Jesus was fully human. His time in the Garden of Gethsemane reveals that. That in his humanity, he was looking forward and going, this is gonna hurt. 
But he said, Father, your will be done. I'll drink the cup. And so when he says on the cross, it is finished, he's saying, I drank the cup. You know, when you have guests over for dinner and, and you serve them and, uh, and maybe you refill their cups or you refill their glass and, and, and at the end, when you're trying to clear the table, you say to them, are you finished? You know, is your plate finished? Yeah, I'm finished. Are you done with the cup? Yeah, I'm done. And you take their glass and you pull it back and you look and there's always just a little bit left in the bottom. Even if you drink a cup fully, there's always that little tiny bit left in the bottom. Listen, when Jesus drank the cup of punishment for sin, there wasn't a drop left in that cup. He wiped it clean. There was no residue left. So when he says it is finished, he meant it. Father, I have drank the cup of your punishment. I've done it because I love your children. Now, this means two very important things. Okay? Number one, this means that the pain in your life will come to an end. The pain in your life will come to an end. It has already been defeated, but not yet completely, because you still experience it. It's like back in 2003, when the United States waged war in Iraq, and they sent the troops in. Where did they go? They went to Baghdad, the capital, Command Central, and, and when, they, when they got there and that massive statue of Saddam Hussein was toppled down and they set up headquarters, the war was won. Iraq had been defeated, although there were still skirmishes and battles to be had as this victory that was already completed made its way out through the country. And that's the way it is with your sin and your pain. Jesus in his first coming defeated it. There's victory. And yet we live in the in-between of his first and second coming. And so there are skirmishes and there are battles and there are hard times and there's pain that's still there as this victory is being realized. Now, when he comes again, that pain will be gone forever, fully gone. But there's hope in that, that your pain will come to an end. It may come to an end in this life. If not, it will certainly come to an end when Jesus returns. And we don't know, that could be tomorrow. He's coming back. Now, here's the second important truth that flows out of this. And this is so important. Because Jesus drank the cup of your punishment, any pain and suffering in your life can't be for the purpose of punishing you. Let me say that again. Because Jesus drank that cup and there's not a drop in it, there's not a residue left, there's not a little bit left. It's gone. He drank the punishment. Any pain, any suffering in your life cannot be the purpose of God punishing you, but only to transform you. It can only be for your good. When you understand this beautiful news that Jesus has defeated your sin and your pain. Now, all of what I've just spoken about is true if you've turned from your sin and you've turned to Jesus Christ. If you have never trusted Jesus, and by that I mean believing that he drank that cup of punishment for you in your place to win your salvation. If you have never trusted Christ, trust him. 
His love will never fail you. His love will never fail you and his love will bring healing to the pain in your life. Let's pray. Father, we speak about the pain in our life and it's real. And in a room of this size, it's, it's to varying degrees, depending on seasons of life. But the pain we feel pales in comparison to the pain that you, Father, and, and Jesus, that you experienced and you endured when you were on the cross. And Father, to think that you endured that pain for a people like us who are sinful and who turn our backs and all the time on you and, and live unfaithfully, that you did that for us while we were yet sinners is just a profound picture of love that we can hardly get our hands around, but we believe it. Father, you love us deeply, so deeply that you have bore our pain and our suffering. We may not know why things are happening in our lives, we may not know why the pain is there or the particular form of hardship or trial or suffering, but we do know this, God. We know the reason is not because you don't care, that you care deeply for us and that when we start to doubt that and we start to feel abandoned or isolated, that you're not answering, would you fix our eyes on that concrete event in history, the cross, where your love was displayed mightily? Would that be our assurance that you are healing us and that one day, Jesus, when you return, you will heal us completely? Thank you, God. Thank you, Father, for saving us. And I pray for all here that, that those maybe that have never trusted you, Jesus, that, that Holy Spirit, you would draw them to that place, that they would place their trust in you. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to invite the ushers forward.